May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I feel a bit hidden up here behind all this uh, furry uh, <laughs> greenery, but um, yes, it looks lovely, doesn't it? There are perhaps um, no more misunderstood persons in the Bible than the prophets of Israel. Most of us, if we took a moment to think about them at all, would probably imagine somebody like a fortune teller. You know, a guy who lives in a one-room hovel who writes kind of, you know, on a, on a pad of paper or, or all over the walls, you know, like an ancient version of a beautiful mind or something like that. And, and we, just, we have this vision of a, of a prophet, somebody like that, an oddball who speaks enigmatically, difficult to understand what he's saying. These aren't altogether untrue, but this isn't what the prophets were like. We read the prophets, and, and even if we do, we're, we're kind of unsure how to read them. You pick out little words or phrases, maybe some lines of poetry that inspire us, but by and large, they make almost no sense at all to a lot of people. There's no seeming historical context, and, and what they seem, even if you could understand the historical context, what they seem to say doesn't seem to fit. It's like that line from the Bob Seger sign, it's like mysteries without any clues, <laughs> song. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible, I think, for a lot of people to understand the prophets. But they're really not that difficult to understand. They were troubled souls. The prophets were troubled souls. They felt inwardly in their bodies the pain that God feels about a lot of things. In particular, they felt the pain that God feels about the waywardness of His people. They were not nearly troubled, the prophets were not troubled about the waywardness of the world. They weren't worried or upset or or distressed about the problems that were in the nations around them. What they were upset about, what they felt inwardly, was the struggle about the rebellion that the people of God have. And they felt it physically. You would get passages like this one from Jeremiah. Listen to this from Jeremiah chapter 18. The word of the Lord came to me, the prophet says. So he he hears the word of the Lord. It came to me, O house of Israel, what can I do with you? As this potter has done. He's referring to a a, a scene that that a potter was was at a wheel. And he took this, this bowl that he was making. It didn't come out quite the right way. And so the potter just crushed it down. And made it back into a lump of clay and started all over again. And so Jeremiah hears God saying, Listen, Israel, I can do to you as this potter has just done with this clay. I could just crush you down. Verse 7 he says, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck it up or break it down and destroy it, and if that nation which, uh, concerning which I have spoken turns from evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if that nation does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do to it. Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, you hear that? Say to my people, is what God is saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping a disaster against you. This is the way the prophets feel. They, feel they, they, they have inwardly this sense of doom that is going to happen to God's people because of their waywardness, their rebellion, their, their re- refusal to repent. I could read passage after passage after passage in the prophets, the same thing again and again and again. 
Israel is often compared in the prophets to an adulterous spouse. This is what it said over and over again. You're like a spouse who goes off and, and, and lives this wild life. Not living as a faithful spouse. And so, again and again, they feel this pain. John the Baptist is a prophet. And he's a prophet in Israel. And he has the same internal struggle that all the prophets have. If you were to read through the prophets, you would find, for instance, Isaiah walked around, the prophet says, naked for three years. He took his life and made it into a metaphor for Israel. He said, basically by his walking around with no clothes on, I'm hoping he had something on. You know, that naked was perhaps hyperbolic. You know, maybe he just took off his shirt. I don't know. But he was walking around as a sort of metaphor for the nation of Israel, saying to them, look, you are exposed before God like I am exposed before you. The prophet Hosea marries a woman who becomes a prostitute. In fact, she was a prostitute when he married her, and then she goes back to prostitution after he marries her. As a way of saying, Israel, this is what you're like to me. This is the way God is is saying. John the Baptist, he lives out in the wilderness. He eats insects and wild honey. Had to be a tasty diet. I don't know if he roasted them. I'm hoping so. But he goes out into the wilderness and lives on a very meager way as if to say, this is what repentance looks like. It's when you put God first in your life above all other comforts that you would have. This is what repentance, real genuine repentance looks like. And so the prophets, this is what they were like. They were preachers. They were not priests. Prophets didn't wear vestments. They didn't work around an altar. They were preachers. They were preachers in the cities, in, in, the, in the, the countryside. They spoke. Even their written records was not their main ministry. Their ministry was a ministry of speaking, of preaching. And their message was always the same. Stop. People of God, stop. Turn away from sin. Come back to God. Find hope, find life here. They were, for the nation of Israel, for the people of God, the moral conscience in the middle of the community. And that's the kind of person that John the Baptist was. The highlight of John's ministry was one day when he's down at the River Jordan baptizing people and Jesus comes down. He comes down to be baptized, and you remember the the narrative, perhaps, from Matthew's Gospel. He comes down, and, and John says to him, No, I can't baptize you. I have need to be baptized by you, is what John says. You remember this? And Jesus says, No. All righteousness must be fulfilled. You baptize me. And so he does. Now listen to what Matthew records in his Gospel. And when Jesus was baptized, this is in the third chapter, immediately he went up from the water... And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved with whom I am well pleased. Sometimes I think the pronoun him gets switched intentionally by Matthew. Sometimes it's Jesus. He was coming up out of the water. But at another point, I think it is John who sees the heavens open. Here's the other part of the prophet's life. Not only does he feel inwardly the pain that God feels, but he gets to see the world the way God sees the world. And he sees Jesus, and he sees the heavens open, and he realizes something. He has this moment of clarity. This isn't some common man. This is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. 
And all of this is but a bit of prologue to John's real inner angst. Because if Jesus is the one who is to come, if He is the Messiah, the one that John saw when the the Spirit came down like a dove from, from heaven, if Jesus really is this one that we've been waiting for, what are the expectations? What will this Messiah do? I mean, you can't help but to think that, right? Here He is. Oh no, what's going to be like next? I mean, what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month? I mean, surely not too far in the distant future. What sort of politics will He institute? What sort of of wide-range moral reform will He bring about? What sort of system of spirituality will He construct? Well... Answer those questions if you think about it from the gospel. What sort of political schema did Jesus bring about? Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Right? Give to God what belongs to God. What sort of um, moral reform did he bring about? He ate with tax gatherers and sinners, so much so that people said he's a glutton and a drunkard. And what sort of spirituality system did it, I mean, what did he do in terms of forming a, a system of spiritual life? You. Come follow me. This is what we find in the Gospels. This is the sort of uh, thing that Jesus brings about, this messianic plan of politics and moral reform and spirituality. And this is not at all what anybody expected. This is not at all what anybody wanted to happen. And this is certainly not what John the Baptist was expecting would be the issue. Today's Gospel lesson, John is in prison. Um, This happens to prophets from time to time. They get thrown into prison. Think of Martin Luther King writing a letter from a Birmingham jail. You dare to speak out against the, the, um, the moral abuses in your society? They don't like it. You'll get thrown into jail quickly. And this is what happened with John, and he's been thrown into jail. He's found some very powerful enemies. And while he's in jail, there are some men. Um, they are his followers. They've been so impressed by his life that they follow him everywhere he goes, and they try to learn from him. Matthew calls them John's disciples. John's disciples go to him in prison, probably taking him some cheese sandwiches or whatever else they got, you know, and they're giving him a little bit of food. And John says, tell me about this Messiah. What has he been doing? Now, you probably think, and I probably thought for a long time, he's saying, tell me about the miracles. I don't think that's what John says at all. I think when he's saying, tell me about his doings, he's saying, what's this rumor that I hear? He's hanging out with tax gatherers and sinners? He's eating with them. He's drinking with them. No politics. No wide-range moral reform. No system of spirituality. What is he doing? And his dilemma. He's doubting in the dark what he saw in the light, isn't he? The day down at the river, maybe a month, maybe a year before, the day down at the river, he saw it real clear. But now in jail... Not so clear. Things don't look so good. This isn't, the, this isn't the way things were supposed to go. I think, I think if, if Jesus had followed the paradigm that John expected, he would have been sitting in his jail cell quite comfortably. 
I don't think he was afraid to die. I don't think it was his worry about what was going to happen to him. I think what he was worried about is that he had proclaimed one to be the Messiah who was not acting like the Messiah at all. He's not doing the things that the Messiah is supposed to do. And so, what's the answer that Jesus gives? Well, you heard it. It's soft and gentle, isn't it? Chapter 11 from the Gospel lesson today, verse 4. Jesus answered them, these the disciples, Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. And I know, I know that you are way ahead of me. You say to yourself, that was in the Old Testament lesson today. I heard that from the book of the prophet Isaiah written 700 years before John and Jesus. These very things... The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. John, this is what's happening. And Jesus says to John, Blessed is the one who doesn't take offense at me. I kind of struggle with that this week. Blessed is the one who doesn't take offense at me. The word is uh, scandalizo, for which we get the word scandalize or scandal. John, Jesus says to John, You know what? You're going to be happy, blessed. Happy is the one who doesn't feel that I'm a scandal to them because of the way I act and the things that I'm doing. Don't lose heart. I have this great cartoon somewhere in a file in one of my desks <laughs> somewhere uh, that says, um, yeah, they're all over the place. Uh, there's, it's this cartoon. It's, it's got this, um, this uh, priest. He's in a, in a billiards hall shooting pool. You know, he's got his sleeves rolled up and a collar on. And there are these guys standing around him and they're kind of surly looking with, you know, tattoos and cigarettes hanging out of their lips or whatever. And, and it's like in a storefront. There's a big pane window, you know, with the name of the pool hall on it. And outside the window looking in is uh, this group of four or five um, women with straw hats looking inside, kind of aghast at what the rector is obviously doing. And the little caption below it says something like, uh, the Ladies' Guild and, and Father Jones had completely different ideas about what outreach means. Yeah. That's the, what we get with Jesus as well. See, the truth is, we would take offense at him too if we looked at him the way his contemporaries looked at him. I don't want you to throw stones at me or hymnals or anything close by, but I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? If Jesus were here today, he would not be a Fox News contributor. He's not. That's not what he's doing. That's not what he's about. If he was here today, he would not be a moral crusader leading us on a, a great temperance movement across the country or trying to get new rating systems for movies and, te- and video games and whatever. If he was here today, he would not be on the cover of a hard book back in the New York Times bestseller list telling us how to have our best life now. That is not Jesus. None of that is Jesus. I'm not saying any of it is bad. Watch Fox News. Read your movies. Rate your video games. All that, yes, of course. But that is not what Jesus was doing. He doesn't meet those sort of expectations. And sometimes I think we would be honest. We would look at Jesus in the Gospels and say, why can't he be the way we expected him to be? In about ten days from now, most of us are going to be sitting around a Christmas tree, lights on it, You'll be sitting there in a chair maybe with a 
a nice little package on your lap and you won't be touching it. And somebody will finally say to you, hey, silly, it's yours. Open it, right? And, and you'll probably, I know you, you'll probably peel the tape back really gently. Our boys are like lions with gazelles on the Serengeti, you know. <laughs> it's just into it. However you do it, whatever, you'll open that present and it'll be something you really, really like. Oh, isn't that great? You'll be so happy. But maybe, you know, just maybe, um, you'll open up that package and it'll be almost exactly what you wanted. You, you ever had that almost exactly what you wanted package? You know where it's, it's the right thing but the wrong color? You know, the right jeans with the wrong size because you've lost so much weight. It'll be, um, it'll be, you know, just so close. Almost. Somebody will have a parent who's totally clueless and bought them an iPod shuffle, something they've wanted a decade ago, you know, and uh, almost you were close. When I was a kid, we used to get the packages underneath the tree when mom wasn't around. Did you do this? And you'd pick them up. And you'd kind of weigh them. Did you do this? And you'd shake them a little bit, although not too hard because it might be breakable, right? I would even smell them. I was always hoping for food. Is there something in there? And we would guess, you know? Is that the remote control car that I have been asking for for a decade? You know, I, I never get it. I always wanted it. Is this it, finally? And I would envision the color and, you know, how it worked and all that sort of thing. Maybe in about 10 days from now, you open that package. Guys, maybe you thought it was a box of Cuban cigars. You know, I don't know. No, you wouldn't do that. They're, they're outlawed uh, Dominicans. I know, whatever. Um, a diamond-encrusted ruby necklace. I, I don't know what you want. You know, whatever it is that you... And you pick it up and you're sure that that's probably what it is. And you open it up. And inside is the combination Bible and prayer book that this person you loved wanted to get for you. And it's really nice, but it's not exactly what you were expecting. And maybe, and maybe it's better even than that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.